0: Hello and welcome to Politics War Room with James Carville and I'm Al Hunt. This week we are joined by the subject of the hit Netflix movie, Worth. Special master of the 9-11 Victims Compensation Fund, Ken Feinberg, and the program's key designer and director of claims at their law firm, Camille Bieros. Remember, we take your questions each episode, so write into politicswarroom at gmail.com or send a tweet To at Cliticon for next week's show. We'll get to as many as we can, but don't forget to tell us where you're from. And please check out the link to this week's sponsor, our friend's Magic Spoon, in the show notes. We thank you for supporting our sponsors. It helps make this podcast happen. Please tell your friends about us and remind them to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. James, the Supreme Court uh, this past week uh, refused to stay a Texas law that really ends Roe v. Wade. Uh, They didn't make a final decision, but there's no abortion there after six weeks, and it sets loose citizen vigilantes to go after anyone assisting an abortion. Now, whether the court ultimately upholds this law, or as I think more likely, uh, they strike it down while affirming the almost as restrictive Mississippi statute, the effects are almost the same, overturning Roe while the Republican court pretends it really isn't. What I want you to address is the anti-abortion activists for years have really been more energized than the pro-choice side. And the immediate reaction is this will change that equation that whenever one side dominates, the other side really gains politically.
1: I'm not confident of that. How about you, James? You know, I'm more confident than not. and, and, and you, you, you can see that, that who's anxious to talk about this or who's not. I, I, look, I, I, as we know, the, the, if you look at the, the basic question on abortion, it's pretty much unchanged for 20 years. And it's all intensity. And I, I do think, and, and I'm not saying this because it favors Democrats, I, I, I do think there's increased intensity on, on, on the, on the pro-choice cho- side of this ledger. It would be hard to look at this and not conclude that, don't you think?
0: Well, I do. Um I difficult to say what I'm about to say, but I hope they don't go overboard. Now I happen to believe in Roe v. Wade, I happen to believe in a woman's right to choose. I find the issue very difficult, but sometimes um I think people on both sides uh engage in excess. This is one that's quite simple. Uh that you you, you have to have try to get Congress to pass a law, that'll be very difficult. And you have to change those state legislatures. Uh, And
1: I hope that'll be the focus. Um, We'll see. Like, you know, what what I'll say is this. I think most people hear this, and it was like elevator music to them. We hear this shit every election. You know what? Boston's been decided. And, you know, the pro-life people use that to, you know, gas up their people. And, you know, we send out fundraising people and, you know, we're trying to and they gas their people. And now people are, and and what we do know, what we do know, we know that abortion attitudes are pretty fixed. We do know that people are conflicted. I want to repeat this. People's attitudes toward Roe is not that conflicted. It's over 70%. And the more you make it about Roe and the less you make it about abortion, the more politically advantageous position that you're going to be in. You don't have to talk about late-term abortions. You don't have to talk about this. Say, I think Roe is settled law. It should stay in. And and Casey is also settled law. People are fine with Casey. All right? That's— that's what you got to do in, in anybody that, you don't even have to mention the word abortion. you just talk about Roe. well I, I think you're absolutely right, and that's what I was trying
0: to clumsily allude to earlier about the uh, about some of the um, pro-choice side that they get excessive they sure don't want to deal with late semester abortions when they have uh, the overarching question of Roe. Here's what worries me, though, James. If, as you know, some smart people think, this court strikes down the Texas law and uh, sometime next spring accepts the Mississippi law, I worry that the media, and I'm talking about my business here, is going to say, you know, this court really isn't as right-wing as we thought. They really are seeking the middle ground. That is pure bullshit. It, it was not true. It's a total myth. Last term, they went and they didn't take up the Trump cases. Those were crazy cases. Those weren't mainstream cases on the right wing. Those were fringe cases. They turned down the Texas insane uh, ruling on the ACA. Uh, I mean, the, this, this does not show a court that is more moderately conservative than it was supposed. These were just fringe cases. And I really worry that when this gets depicted, as it did last June, this court really ain't as right wing as we thought uh, that that uh, that that'll be a, a harder myth to counter.
1: That's really incumbent upon the media. That's a legitimate worry. And also, and we'll we'll talk about when I get to my outrage. The the, the post nine eleven coverage by the media was just horrific. And and I'm not talking about Fox News. They're always horrific. All right. I, I mean it, it's. But yes, it, it, what you're saying. In all of these people in these newsrooms that are screaming about pronouns, better start screaming about some woman in Obland, Louisiana who works at the Walmart with a you know abusive guy living with her and two kids who's pregnant. That's way more important than your pronoun. That's a way more important thing to fight over and, and, and I you know for all of the power that these people exercise in, in, in news organizations, and trust me, they, they exercise a lot of power. No one in their right mind would, just, would even question that remotely. And now that you have this power, use it to something constructive. And, and yeah. brace hell when, when you see this, well, it's, you know, it's, they didn't do that, and they're really trying to be judicious here, and blah, blah, blah. And it has to start now we're watching you we're watching you and we're watching you closely
0: yeah you're absolutely right and here's but but here's the effect of these texas and, and mississippi and i'm sure louisiana oh. laws if you're an oil company's daughter and you get knocked up it doesn't change a thing you know you yeah. fly to california you fly to illinois if you're a you know a rich lawyer what it does is it affects that woman as you say who works at walmart that single woman it, it, it creates such an unfair, unequal playing field. And also, to throw this in, James, I, we shouldn't forget that this conservative Supreme Court got there through cheating. It got there by, by denying Merrick Garland a hearing, got there by rushing through Amy Barrett. Uh, I believe in obeying the law. I believe in abiding by decision of this court. But it
1: was a court that was, that was put together through cheating. Of course it was. The and, 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 and two thousand election was cheating. And you know, you know what happens? Yeah. They get away with it. You know what happens? Everybody applauded Gore for saying, "Well, he did the right thing." You know, this is a, You know, the law is spoken. Thank God. And, and yes, of course they did. And, and 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 they basically get away with it. They just get away with it.
0: Well, my point's a little different. Uh, I disagree with the Bush v. Gore decision. But I'm saying that that was a, I mean, those nine members were legitimately on that court. I mean, nobody cheated to get them on the court. They were went through the normal process. It's different this time. Uh, I mean, Brett uh, Kavanaugh or Neil Gorsuch should not be on that court. Merrick Garland should hold that seat. Yes. And Joe Biden should have made that Amy Barrett appointment. Yeah.
1: But uh, well, Roger you know, Trini right. was just, legitimately just the, the, the Chief yeah. Justice of the Supreme Court. That don't make Dred Scott right. That doesn't make. That doesn't make. Plessy v. Ferguson. Right there are bad decisions, and Lord knows right. this court uh, has made bad uh, This was a what? a hijacking of an election that that people just shrugged off. You know, they, they, they read the election returns, and right after in two thousand two, actually, the Republicans had a decent year. I, I it, it just to say, well, they're legitimate there. It, that, that 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 was in, in Scalia by one order that stopped the vote count. And then they all came in there and did this. And you know, I know the dissents were vigorous and everything else. They should have those four justices should have walked out of there. It just it was staggeringly, staggering what they did. Just stop the legitimate vote count. But
0: listen, I, I agree was, it was it was but you know, these decisions uh, whether it's uh, campaign finance, uh, affirmative action, redistricting, uh, and now abortion, uh, we're going to see a whole slew of uh, staggeringly bad decisions. It's not and, like they didn't tell you. From a court. They and, told you. And, 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 and this notion that this is a more moderate court or a more conservative moderate court, when it comes to corporate power, when it comes to political power, you know exactly where Brett Kavanaugh and Neil Gorsuch and Thomas and Alito and Amy Barrett and most and, of the time John Roberts, Roberts will end up. So, anyway, all right. Um, it's a, it'll be a lot of stories in the weeks ahead on this one. Hey, James. And one of our all-time favorites is back, Magic Spoon. A good friend, Ethan Waxman, said, Are you really eating Magic Spoon? You bet I am, Ethan, and so is my grandchild. It's a family affair with us. We know you'll love this favorite snack, breakfast, and all-around delicious treat. Magic Spoon has zero grams of sugar, 13 to 14 grams of protein, and only four net grams of carbs in each serving. It's only 140 calories a serving. It's keto-friendly, gluten-free, grain-free, soy-free, and low-carb. You can even build your own box and customize it with Magic Spoon's delicious cocoa, fruity, frosted, peanut butter, blueberry, or cinnamon flavors. But that's not all. I've got some great news for James and our audience, including my friend Ethan Waxman. Magic Spoon is bringing back two super popular flavors, cookies and cream and maple waffle, permanently. So make sure you try them. They're delicious, indulgent. And healthy. James, we're going to have a feast galore on Magic Spoon. Yeah, just
1: remember, I keep emphasizing this, it's free of a lot of stuff, but it, it, it is not taste-free. It tastes good. So, it, it, you know, I went out to the UCLA game in, in Los Angeles, flew out, and I've I had a couple of people actually just randomly come up and thank me for promoting Magic Spoon, which is like, you know, it's a podcast, you know, generally people don't do that, but it is a hell of a product. I eat it. You should eat it. It's good for you, and unlike most of the stuff you get in a health food store, this stuff actually tastes good.
0: Well, our family goes from age three to uh, age seventies. We'll stop it there, uh, and we and we both love it. So go to magicspoon.com/warroom to grab a custom bundle of cereal and try it today. Be sure to use our promo code. War room at checkout to save five dollars off your orders. That's W A R R O O M. And Magic Spoon is so confident in their product, it's back with a hundred percent happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they'll refund your money, no questions asked. Remember, get your next delicious bowl of guilt-free cereal at MagicSpoon.com/warroom and use the code Warroom to save five dollars. Thank you, Magic Spoon, for sponsoring this episode. Hey, James, our next guests are special. Ken Feinberg and Camille Biros, they have been special masters, compensation architects for virtually every crisis this century. VP Deepwater Disaster, Boston Marathon bombing victims, Boeing 737, and many others. Their legendary role, however, was in the 9-11 Victims Fund. Netflix has just released a movie worth With Michael Keaton and Amy Ryan playing Ken and Camille, I watched it the other night, and all of you out there, you have got to watch it. It's a compelling, emotional story how they made decisions on giving billions to over 5,000 distraught families from that tragedy. I'm not going to feign objectivity here, James. That's one of Ken's favorite words. We served in the JFK Profile and Courage Committee together. I actually served under Ken. I first met him more than 40 years ago when he was one of three attorneys working for Senator Edward M. Kennedy, David Boyd, Stephen Breyer, and Ken. There's still a debate as to who was senior. He is a special master, and more than a few times he's been carried by Camille. So we are so pleased to have you both thank you. Ken Feinberg, I'm going to start with you. The Netflix film captures the extraordinary experience that you two went through as you were trying to determine the value, uh, basically, of a human life. The film suggests it changed you some, elevating the human sense uh, more uh, and less the formulaic approach. Is that a fair assessment?
2: Well, there's a certain dramatic license taken when you make a movie, but I will say this that we did underestimate, I certainly did underestimate, the collective angst, anger, frustration, horror, disappointment of 5,000 people. And it took the arc of about, I think, probably a year to um, recognize that Calculating dollars wasn't the tough part. The tough part was listening to the, um, to the individual families that asked to see Camille or see me and discuss their own plight and how they validated the memory of lost loved ones. That was the tough part.
0: Camille, tell us about some of these uh, emotional experiences, if you would.
3: There, there are so many just simply horrible stories. I'm, uh, 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 I'll, I'll just give you a, a couple that come to mind quickly. There was a, a young woman we were meeting with in our offices um, in New York at the time. We were on the 23rd floor, and it was a glass-enclosed conference room. She was a young mother of three little children, Her children were out in the waiting area and we were in the conference room with her lawyer, sitting and talking about her case. She was very calm and demure through the whole entire um, meeting. When when the meeting was over, we got up and I walked her to the door and she looked at me. She looked outside and she said, they must have been so scared when they jumped. Mm. And with that, she just broke down in complete sobs, uncontrollable sobs. That's one I, I, I just really won't forget. There's also the one about the unbelievably in, injured individual who was burned over over 85% of his body, who came to see us with after, after going through 35 separate operations, came to see us in D.C. with his medical team, his family, um, and his attorney. And it was unbelievable the sheer will to continue living after what this man had suffered so those are just two of the uh, just many 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 obviously horrible stories that that we heard during this this camille and
0: worth um a major figure is charles Wolfe, whose wife was killed that day um is that an accurate depiction did he really play a central role in in basically getting you to the to, to what you needed
3: I, I, I think Charles played a central role, ultimately, in convincing other families to come into the program. I think what's what maybe is doesn't really come through in the movie is that we worked so quickly that the the law was enacted on September twenty second, signed by the president October twenty second, and we had very little time to get the information. Um, and explain the information and how to apply to the fund, what the fund was all about. So we were working very, very quickly in an effort to make sure we could get money to people as quickly as possible. And I think some of the the key elements of the program and how we intended to run the program may have been lost at the beginning. But but Charles was a help in, in making sure that people became aware uh, of certain uh, aspects of the program.
0: Ken, the, the central question, of course, throughout was, and, and many of your other endeavors is, how do you value one's life? Wh- what answer do you give when you're, when you're asked that today?
2: It all depends on the fund. Now, if it's the 9-11 fund, and as you know, Al, anybody who participated in the fund had to sign a piece of paper, I will not sue. Now, that is an alternative to the American Mm -hmm. legal system. And I tell people all the time that judges and juries in every court in the United States, New Orleans, Washington, Boston, what would the victim have earned over a work life, plus something for pain and suffering and emotional distress? That's the formula. But now in the Boston Marathon or the Pulse nightclub attacks in Florida, or the Sandy Hook shooting of the first graders in Connecticut, that's all private money. That's a gift. You don't sign anything. And therefore, in a case like that, all lives are valued equally. In 9-11, over almost 3,000 dead, all lives were valued unequally. And that caused a lot of of divisiveness in the 9-11 fund. James...
1: So, uh, there's so much I want to ask, but as I understand it. I haven't been touched a law book. The Governor of Louisiana once said to the Attorney General, if you want to hide anything from Jack, stick it in a law book. But as I understand it, taught law, if, if, if I drive through two intersections, I run over a 29-year-old partner track person at, 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 you know, Williams and Conley, and then I run over the school janitor, the, the damages are going to be considerably different.
2: Absolutely. All That's right. the American legal system since the revolution. Revolutionary War. All right. So, so, uh, in, in how did you adjust
1: for this in the nine eleven case?
2: Well, with great difficulty. The right. statute. But, the statute said, "You shall follow state tort law," but the statute also had a catch-all provision. But the special master. Um, can exercise his or her discretion to try and calibrate uh, awards. So what we did is we lowered, just made the decision, we lowered the high-end earners who might otherwise get $30 million each down to about $4 or $5 million or 5000000 dollars and raised the waiter and the busboy and the undocumented workers and the firemen and the cops and the soldiers at the Pentagon. We raised them so that there was a difference of about between the average $2 million award for a death claim and the median award was $1.6 million. So we sort of made that adjustment. As Senator Kennedy told me when we took on this assignment, I'll never forget. Ted Kennedy said, Ken, I've got only one bit of advice for you. Make sure that 90% of the taxpayers' money doesn't go to 10% of those who died, namely the high-end earners. And uh, I took that to heart.
1: So, in in essence, you had to, in community, y'all had to get to herd immunity. If you didn't get 80% to sign on, it it was no good. And of course, if I were a lawyer to represent somebody, I'd say, screw Ken Feinberg, I can get you more money in the court. All right. I want to talk about salesmanship here because, you know, my mother sold encyclopedias and you had to, you had to go out and get your hands dirty doing this. All right. What strategy did y'all have? Because if you know, if my husband worked at Cantor Fitzgerald and I, I was going to have all of this and I'm saying, man, you're telling me I'm going to get, you know, only twice as much as the custodian or the fireman gets? How, how did you sell? I, mean, cause I, I know people <laughs> that human impulses. Yeah, just talk to us a little bit about both about salesmanship and how important it is.
3: So, So I'll start. One of the things we made sure we did was a significant amount of outreach. And we held uh, public me- town hall meetings so that we could take have the opportunity. It was open to everybody. We held New Jersey, New York, Boston. And, and we took that opportunity to explain uh, the fund and how to go about applying and, and, and what was necessary in terms of, of support. Also keep in mind, one of the selling points of a fund like this is speed. I mean, yes, you can go and sue but you're not going to get results in a court of law in, you know, six months, 10 months, 15 months, however long it took from the time you, you submitted your claim till we actually made payment. So speed, transparency, and an understanding of what the fund was all about. And we, I, those were our selling points during the course of uh, the program.
2: Also, remember, you want to go to court, pay your lawyer 33%. Who says you're going to win uh, uh, based on this sneak attack from a foreign terrorist organization? And who says that the airlines have a duty, legal duty, to compensate victims on the ground because the World Trade Center collapsed? I mean, there were a lot of challenges. And the law required, Jim, that if you're a Louisiana resident and you'd rather sue than take the fund, you have to go to New York City to sue. You can't sue in Plaquemines Parish or downtown New Orleans. You've got to go to New York, federal court, and that's the only place you can litigate. So at the end of the day, 97% of all the eligible families came into the fund voluntarily.
1: So I have one more question. I'm going over to Al. <laughs> What I saw you had signed up for the BP oil spill, and Jack Leslie is a good friend of mine, and he just loves you to death, and and, and Camille, I. I can listen to you and tell you that both what you, was your encounter in dealing with South Louisiana culture? Cause that's different than anything in a goddamn world, I promise you. I just was um, like, hi these guys gonna deal with these clowns. You
3: know, we le- we learned an awful lot about harvesting and fish and and oysters and shrimp. We also learned a lot about uh, individuals who don't necessarily have tax records to to support <laughs> the, <laughs> their earnings. <laughs> Uh, And a lot of uh, cash transactions. So, you know, we had to work hard with the people to to have them provide us something so that we can get them some emergency money. It was very interesting. So
1: you're saying that a shrimp and, and you know and just in Justin or Lafouche Parish doesn't have receipts for everything that they did? Trip tickets. We learned a lot about trip tickets.
2: As one uh, fisherman, uh, commercial fisherman told me, Mr. Feinberg, ever since you set up your BP oil spill fund, we've never seen so many fishermen walking around with with fishing <laughs> poles. <port." laughs> how many uh what's my
1: morning turned over now? Uh, how many how much out and out fraud applications did you get? I mean, um, somebody's like I know somebody's putting
2: oh, a on the scale, and it's a you know, uh, brand, yeah. New Orleans, the the, the coast—they got a bum rap. There was no more fraud down there than I think we'd find anywhere in the United States. Well, out of about you. a million, out of about a million two hundred thousand claims, I think we recommended or referred to the Justice Department twenty five thousand questionable and i don't think there was anywhere near that many and that were actually fraud yeah,
3: some smaller number much smaller number. Yeah.
1: It's not, thank yeah. you because i know that was culturally a, a unique experience for you and i so appreciate and admire both of these affection from our part of the world hey,
0: hey let <laughs> me just you. ask you to close the loop three percent didn't sign up for 9-11
2: do you all know what happened with their cases Sure. 94 people didn't sign up. They went to court and five years later, they all settled. There was never a trial. There was never any jury finding or jury deliberation. Everyone settled. Some of them might have got more than they would have gotten under the fund. Some might have got less. They all had to pay a quarter of whatever they got to their lawyers. And, um, so I think that uh, the fund was justified in that respect statistically.
3: And just one one plug for um, some of the lawyers. You know, during nine eleven, uh, there was a group uh, created by a Boston lawyer called Trial Lawyers Care, and this group of lawyers represented over a thousand individuals pro bono in getting their claims and their paperwork through through the fund. So. We can't forget the enormous help that they were to us. And
0: was there really that bad guy lawyer trying to get more for the rich, Ken?
2: He wasn't a bad guy lawyer. He was just a bad guy.
3: No, he (laughs) wasn't.
2: He he was well-versed in tort law and what he had studied in law school and drilled into his brain as to how the system works. And he couldn't understand why high-end earners from Cantor fitzgerald that should receive something like 25 million in public money would only be getting you know five million six million and we explained to him that this was public taxpayer money and they all came into the fund
0: camille this was a you were professionals doing this but it also you had to get very involved with some of these um some of these families do you hear from any of these victims still? Do you stay in touch with any?
3: No, no, we don't. We don't hear from them um, for a while. There was one family who would send um, cookies or a gift around Christmas time, but we we don't hear from them, and um, it's very interesting. But no, we don't, and we don't. We don't necessarily. We don't make a point of attending any um, anniversary uh, memorials or services or anything like that.
2: Everybody should move on.
0: Uh, Well, you all have certainly moved on and done a lot of things since then. We could, um, you know, it was a whole litany. Uh, Are you going to keep doing it? Camille, can you ever see Ken Feinberg retiring?
3: Well, we've both sort of made a promise to ourselves that if one goes, the other goes. So we're still waiting to see who gives in (laughs) first. (laughs) So I don't
2: know. I I will say one thing. You guys can appreciate this, both (laughs) of you. I don't think you'll ever again see a 9-11 fund. You certainly haven't seen, uh, they, they, they expanded the fund or extended it for purposes of the first responders who were sick. But the idea that Congress would ever again enact a fund just for these people, everybody else, fend for yourself. But for 9-11 victims, we'll take care of you in a special way. And it's very, very um, difficult to um, recognize that certain, you know, bad things happen to good people every day in this country. You don't have a 9-11 fund waiting for you. So I don't think you'll see it again. I don't think you should, but I think it was the right thing to do at the time. James?
1: So uh, I know, Kim, but I read about you. Your passion is classical music. You have a real passion Camille, what passion do you have what do, what do you have outside of the law and work that that, that, that is comparable to Kim's passion So
3: for- um, I'm not sure comparable but you know right, but, um, movies, movies, books, family and you know developed um, a, a, an interest in opera as well during the past 15 years but mostly family and and movies and just going home and trying to forget the day for a bit.
1: All right, well, great. I mean, I, I, I just, as an American, I, I just got to tell you how, how proud I am of you and how proud we are to have you on this show. I mean, you know, you're the kind of people that could have done anything that you wanted in the law, and, and this was a gruesome, I, I, you know, and I, and you, y'all actually lobbied for it, okay? You, you actually stood up in the foxhole and said, I'll take the goddamn bullet, because if I'm a you know big time lawyer and making i don't know fourteen hundred dollars an hour this, this is a, a gruesome thing to take on i, th- I think and, they, a, and they and I they took it on from my heart right but I, I mean some by my heart i mean I think it was like a selfish self, a selfless act of patriotism I really do and i i've been mean, i'm not a soppy guy but I, I really i really mean that and it's a big honor to have both of you on this show and not just because they made a movie about you but because of what you did and I,
3: well, Thank you for uh, saying I'm, that. I thank you. I,
2: I you. I will say this to me and to Camille, the greatest aspect of the movie is to show America 20 years later, especially young people who may not remember 9-11 very well, how the, uh, how the country came together as one. I remember talking to Al Hunt when this law was passed. And the idea 20 years later that Congress could ever do this again, even if it wanted to, I'm hoping that people will see this movie and recognize that um, in times of catastrophe or crisis, bipartisanship, cultural and political bipartisanship, let's just help these folks. And I think that's the great lesson today uh, in showing the film, I would like to think.
1: Boy, I tell you, I can't. Go ahead, James. I, I just want to say, is, I can't give enough credit to Michael Keaton. That guy played Ray Croc, who I didn't know. He played Walter Robinson, who I didn't know. And you know, for a guy from Pittsburgh, a kind of blue collar guy, to to play you, which is sort of culturally and 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 do it credibly, is 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 a testament to the skill of an actor. That that that, that just. Well,
0: I, I mean, let's not uh, let's not omit Amy Ryan. I thought she did a pretty good job too, right. Camille.
3: I, I thought she did a lovely job. Actually, she did a very dignified performance. I, I
0: can't thought. let you go, Ken Feinberg. There was no one more you prof- know was prof- that was as professionally close to Edward M. Kennedy as you were, uh, not only from your time there but later with the Library uh, and everything, and uh, you know a personal relationship too. What would what would Ted Kennedy think today of what's going on in American politics?
2: Uh, he would be frustrated beyond belief. And his optimism would not waver. It wouldn't. But I think he would be just appalled that the inability to get something done. And, of course, Al, you know better than almost anybody his love of the U.S. Senate and how he would. I mean, they they have that Edward M. Kennedy Institute in Boston. Perfect replica of the Senate. Senate
0: floor. It's really amazing.
2: Yeah. And he would be amazed, I think. At how the institution, forget the individuals, but the institution has been, you know, tarnished by the last decade or more as to how the Senate now operates. And I think he would be very, very troubled, but he would be fighting every day to try and make it better. Never gave up. He never lost uh, never lost faith or
0: optimism. Boy, we're all better off because of it. He was one of the few who voted against that war in two thousand. Uh, uh, right, and warned uh, everybody. He button. did. He did. Hey, I want to tell you, Camille and Ken, you were not only great guests, but uh, to echo what James said, you are great patriots. You've done an extraordinary job, and uh, we just thank you for joining us today. Great, it
3: was a pleasure. Thank you.
2: Thank Thank you both very, very much. Honor wow, to be here. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. Corporal Carville salutes you, great Americans.
0: Hey, once again, we have a lot of great questions this week. Um, the first one I'm going to read is from Ann Kearney, who is a, a, a speech pathologist at the Stanford Medical School. James, she loves your recipe for tuna salad; it's the only way she makes <laughs> it now. Uh, she's worried that I got uh, that I have some. The, uh, the, the, that I get uh, a, a bad throat sometimes, so she wants to send me to some kind of ENT specialist. And I'm gonna take you up uh, on your advice. Uh, she lives in Portola Valley, California, and their question, she's got a couple of good questions, but James, she says, under Trump, it was apparent there are loopholes in presidential power, as well as the Justice Department assumption of ethical behavior and goodwill, that they're no longer on the table. Is this administration or Congress doing anything to close these loopholes? Good question, Ann, and thanks for the advice, and good luck with your tuna salad.
1: Yeah, well, sir, first of all, that a speech pathologist in at Stanford can understand me is is a really remarkable thing. When I was a kid in grammar school, I had, I don't know, some kind of speech defect, and they would send somebody back when schools used to do this to to work with me, so the fact that you can cut through my accent tells me that. That, that that you're really good at this <laughs> uh I, you know I, I but there's so much stuff that you know what we have here is between the the, the infrastructure bill the 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 uh, you know the abortion of bill between all of the stuff there's just a bottleneck in Washington right now, and I don't don't say there's limited attention span. But it's going to be very difficult to have anything new bought in right now until they, I don't know if they can, hopefully they can resolve some of this stuff. But I mean, the the future, literally, if if we can't get this, if they don't get this infrastructure thing through, we're going to be doomed.
0: Well, and also, I I think uh, there's
1: a, you know, I don't think they want to take up very much right now.
0: No, I think you're right. And they not only need that, they need that uh, that social infrastructure bill, too. And they also need some kind of uh, campaign uh, reform bill or uh, to make sure Republicans can't uh, stop the voting. So you're right. They have a huge... The other thing, Ann, I'd say to you is that, look, there have been a lot of reforms in the past. After Nixon and Watergate, there were a whole slew of reforms. When you have someone like Donald Trump and the people around him who don't care about the rule of law, who don't care about any kind of of decency or protocol, uh, it's awful hard to stop it. You can pass lots of rules, lots of regulations, uh, lots of laws, and they'll just ignore them. Uh, Uh, Trump Trump did it time and time again.
1: And remember, Wild Planet Tuna, get it it, as close to powder as you can get it. You can't use too much black pepper, all right? And you can't have too much chopped celery. But I, I'm glad that you love my tuna recipe because I love it, too. I, I keep it in the refrigerator and just lather it on a triscuit.
0: And, Anne, I'm drinking water now uh, before each question, so thank you very much. Our second question, James, comes from Michael in Chicago. He's a tenured college professor there who's an enormous fan of both Magic Spoon, thanks to us, and college football. His uh-huh. wife is a green card holder from Spain. The question is, it's it's galling to see these huge football stadiums full of maskless people when we explored every option uh, for this is his wife's mother, an EU citizen, to come for the birth of her only grandchild this coming week? And despite all of this, being fully vaccinated, we were rejected at all fronts. Our family voted for Biden. He's a big football fan. But when will the Democrats realize this is an untenable situation?
1: Well, I, I, Dr. Fauci shares the same concern here. I, I was at the Rose Bowl for the LSU-UCLA game. And, man, if that doesn't turn into some kind of infection event, I don't, I, I don't know. I mean, I've obviously been vaccinated, obviously wore a mask. I, I am proud to say that my Alamada LSU is the first Power 5 team in the country to mandate vaccines to enter the stadium. And, but. Uh, you know, and I, I watched the Florida State Notre Dame game. And, you know, I'm not a, a, a epidemiologist by any stretch of the imagination. But all of that screaming and, and everything. And, you know, people go. You It's not just when you're outdoors in a stadium. You're packed in the, you know, when you try go down and trying to get out of the stadium in the parking lot. You're all jammed up getting in the stadium. Uh, people in luxury boxes have elevators. Uh, I, I, I hope. I, I don't know this. I hope it doesn't happen, but I, I'm I'm not optimistic. Ten, fourteen days down the road here.
0: Well, I I agree. I'll make only one correction, James, or not, or modification rather. We ought to talk about requirements, not mandates. Just because yeah. Uh, yeah, that's I, I a think good, it's, that's a very yeah. good
1: point. I think we were the first major college football program to institute requirements, and I can tell you, Absolutely. I I've I met our new president. And he's no bullshit guy. He's a historian of of epidemics, and I, I got a feeling he's going to, pro- to best he can protect people. And that's what we got to do. This thing is not over. Us. You know, people are, are, are kind of done with it, but I, I guess it was Doctor Power or somebody said it's not done with you. Yeah, <laughs> it no, had it's, its own timetable. James, I was well,
0: my wife and I were going to a big event in New York. Not a big event, but event with I don't know fifty, seventy people in New York and. Uh, in mid-November, uh, and they just wrote us and said, we're doing it virtually. Um, now, I don't know if that's, I think that's probably being too cautious, but uh, you're right, it's not over with. And Michael, good luck with the birth uh, of your child, and I wish uh, the grandmother could be there, but you can send her lots of great pictures on Zoom and elsewhere, and, uh, and please stay in touch. Uh, James, the next question uh, is, a, is a good one. It's from John in Antioch Illinois. I've been to Antioch, uh, Ohio. I don't know Antioch, Illinois, but... Uh, I don't either. His question is, why don't we hear more of who most of the 9-11 terrorists were? Saudis, you know, uh, starting with, of course, Osama bin Laden. And where were the terrorist pilots trained? Florida. And what about Pakistan? Uh, I think he makes a good point. We hear very little about the Saudi involvement in this. And I think Biden, the Biden administration now has finally agreed to release some of those files uh, that may tell us more.
1: Yeah, I, I think it's a good thing. And I, of course, I, I'm going to deal with 9-11 in our outrage segment because there's certainly a, a lot to talk about there. Uh, I, I, what I'm curious is, were there Saudis because Osama bin Laden was a Saudi and he knew him? Or was there some involvement here of the Saudi government? Now, they might have just looked the other way. And, and we know that the, from... from uh, with uh, Shays, uh, we, we know that the Pakistani intelligence group were really behind the whole ISIS thing, I mean, the Taliban thing. Right. So it's a very, when you get into that neighborhood, it's a really complicated place. And, you know, what, what all of these governments will do anything they can to maintain their own power. I mean, look, the Saudis chopped that guy up. I mean, these are these are people awful, that awful have engaged people. in. Yeah, I mean, I mean, really, you know, we got to be, you know. Boy, let me tell you something. Well, I, let me talk about it in outrage, but it's a, it's a great question. And stick with me because I'll get to it. Good.
0: Uh, this is a different question, but I like it. Kingsley in Staten Island, New York, asked. What do you think LBJ would have done had he lived to witness the Watergate scandal and the subsequent downfall of Richard Nixon? I know enough about that, Kingsley, to know that, A, he would have loved it because he really didn't like Nixon at all. Uh, he would have thought that maybe it was some justification uh, for, his, uh, for his tenure. But if he had lived that long, he also would have seen how badly that Vietnam War, which was his great, uh, his, his great uh, tragic Achilles heel, turned out. So it would have cut both ways. I will say this. I think uh, Johnson deserves all the blame he gets for the Vietnam War. He doesn't get enough credit for what he did. He was the most successful domestic president uh, other than FDR uh, in American history. And uh, the, the laws have, 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 have really stayed the test of time. The civil rights laws, Medicare, Medicare. Uh, some of the poverty laws and uh, Johnson you, you can't find any airports around the country named after Lyndon Johnson uh, Lyndon Johnson school the University of Texas but uh, he, he he deserves all the blame he gets for Vietnam but Lyndon Johnson did an awful lot of important things James you,
1: you know what he was not he was not a fool and he knew he knew and and, they, and, and but and I think what Lyndon Johnson, I don't know. So be amused, but I think if if, if, if he's wherever he is, and I, I hope he's in heaven. I think he's got a pretty good case to make. Probably it's a good case for him not to be there, too, like most people. But I think he'd say is, "How could these stupid son of bitches do make the same goddamn mistake I made?" what what, what, what are they doing? I, I I think that's what he. I think, more, more importantly, that's what he would be thinking. And he knew. I mean, he was tortured. It, it, you know, and, and these guys never, I don't know if if, if if a lot of these people ever had, like, second thoughts about the, the horror that they brought on the country. He did. For that, I give him enormous credit. He knew that he made a massive historical blunder. He knew it. And, well, there was a he, wonderful he
0: book. for it. There was a, a, a really a marvelous book uh, written about McGeorge Bundy, who was one of the architects of the war. One of the most arrogant people I've ever met in my life was the dean of Harvard College when he was like thirty years old, and and uh, was a, was a man who was a was certain with everything he did. And later in life, he realized the most important thing he did in his life was a tragic mistake, and that oh. over that that overcame all of the previous accomplishments, and achievements in his mind. Someday, some of these people will realize it's the same thing.
1: They're too full of hubris. Again, I'll deal with this in the outrage, okay? But but at least Johnson had the humanity to know that he had made a major colossal fuck-up. And, and for that, I mean, it, it, it was major and it was colossal. You know, you know, compare it okay. to, to this, compare it to that. Stay you know, tuned, everybody. The, We're
0: getting the outrage soon, I promise. The, the next one, James, I'm going to violate our rules. It's from Deborah. Deborah, you didn't tell us where you're from, so this is a one-time carve-out. Uh, from now on, you've got you to are, tell us where you're, you're from. You got it. You got it. But she says, please tell me why the Democrats are con- are not constantly reminding the American people that Trump made a horrible deal by allowing 5,000 prisoners, 400 of whom were known violent uh, uh, captures, against uh, Afghan forces to be released. Why wouldn't these criminals seek revenge and cause the havoc they have done? And why isn't Trump getting the blame for that? She's not talking about the Doha agreement. She's talking about that release of 5,000 prisoners of which they got nothing in
1: return. Well, okay, I... I, I, I agree. It was horrific. But all of this, just like, you, you know, when they say the exit was, and people say, and I hear this all the time. Well, James, you, 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 you know, it was the right thing. Biden did get out, but you got to admit that the, the exit was fucked up. No. But you, you're just equivocating. So let's just take a, we're talking about football. So a team is down 28 to nothing. And the team that has nothing scores a touchdown with a minute to go. And they try an onside kick, and it doesn't work. So, well, you got to admit, James, that they, they, didn't, they didn't execute on the onside kick. That's how fucking stupid this sort of thing is. Like the exit was screwed up. Well, we're getting it, to your outrage, have, have, James. Huh? <laughs> Don't no, let's well, not your even outrage. Out, no, the outrage. <laughs> My outrage is a little bit different than that. All right, okay. But but, but, but you're right. It, it it was a of course it was a colossally stupid thing. There was no smart thing to do by that time. I I'll I blame Trump for, for, for appropriately for, for so many ills. He's so rotten. He's so everything. But that was just a reflection. At least, unlike Bush and Obama, I'll give him credit for this. At least he knew the wall was lost.
0: Well, I yeah, I know I know criticizing the uh, wall for basically the agreement. I just think that she raises a good point the release. Well she of does raise a very good person. point, but I think that yeah, but,
1: but that to, was, to engage in that my point is to engage in that is to distract from the colossal mistake the entire operation was. I, well, she's right, but that's not the thing I would accentuate. But next time Deborah tell us where you're from Greg, absolutely, Deborah, in, Bay absolutely. City, Greg in Bay City, Michigan oh, wow.
0: says Governor Gretchen Whitman took a lot of Whitmer took a lot of heat from the right wing for her policies to contain COVID nineteen. There are still many signs and yards bashing her, and our county up in base in Bay City seems to be trending Republican. Both chambers of the legislature are Republican. What are her chances in twenty twenty two? Greg, I don't know, but I will tell you this. It is one of the three or four most important races in the country. There are three there are three seats. Gubernatorial seats that are held by Democrats, Pennsylvania and and Michigan and Wisconsin, all of which have Republican legislatures. If they elect Republican governors in those three states, I assure you, you're going to see Texas abortion laws. You're going to see anti-voting rights. You're going to see once they get total control, it is remarkable what they what they will do. And so I think Gretchen Whitmer, she made a mistake or two, perhaps but she's been a pretty darn good governor. She was right on COVID-19. I know the Republicans are hailing this black sheriff from Detroit uh, as their savior. Um, I don't know right now. It's a long way off, but I, I,
1: I think Gretchen Whitmer should and probably will be reelected. James. Okay, they had a black sheriff in Milwaukee and I was looking for that.
0: But yeah.
1: First of all, I don't, I, don't know. I don't know if she made any mistakes. Maybe she did. I don't know why I talk about them. I, but she, first of all, they tried to kidnap her, kill her, right? Yeah. They tried to kidnap. Her. Second thing is talking about Bay City, Michigan. I did not realize this, but I read somewhere there's many registered boats in Michigan as there are in Florida. Right? Somebody can fact check me. I may be wrong, but I know there's a. It's a very powerful. And I don't understand that. But the the, the right wing crazies in Michigan are as crazy as they are in Alabama. Oh yeah. And I, and I don't know what it what what it is up there, but I mean they're really nuts. But I I think Whitmer has been a, a outstanding. I love that woman. She she's communicates well. She's really you know had to do a, a, a lot of difficult things, and I I think her mistakes are few and far between. And her attributes are, are utterly glorious. And Mayor Whitmer, if anybody's listening to this. If anything James Carville can do to help you deservedly win reelection, election I will do it. I promise you. She, I, I love her.
0: Well, and I would say uh, to our, you know, uh, Greg, what I want you to do is ask those people who are, who are not going to compare her COVID record to Ron DeSantis. Compare what Michigan has gone through, which has been a lot of suffering. Compare it to Florida. And imagine if she hadn't have done what she did, how many more cases there would have been and how many more deaths there would have been. Uh James if, is right. If you she's- look
1: at if you look at the times, I look at it every day to have the, the map of counties. And if you look at it, it, it tracks with stupidity. All right? It, it it really is. And and I think she's she's done a, a magnificent job. And I think those I, I think those Michigan Right wingers, and there's a lot of sane Republicans in Michigan. At least they used to be. Your friend Bob Tita, being one of them, Mary Lucas, they're, 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 oh, they're, they're nuts, man. They're, they're, they they're, they're, they're nuts beyond maybe. they might have Well, they the may have been nuts
0: beforehand, James. But Trump, when as Trump has taken over this party, there are more and more nuts everywhere. Pennsylvania has them too now. Um, anyway, Mason in Avon, Minnesota, says he's a high schooler. Uh, from Avon, he's interested in entering the field of politics when he's older. I was wondering if both of you could give me one important piece of advice on things I should know or consider before pursuing this career choice.
1: You know, I, I get this question a lot. And I, I, I'll, I'll give you the same answer. Go take a test drive. Find something uh, maybe the, and find a maybe a competitive state house seat. Like maybe it's a competitive city council. Or I'm not sure what the local government county structure is in Minnesota. You know, or maybe there's something and go there and say, "Look, I, I'm interested in this. I want to volunteer. I'll do whatever you ask." And then be in there and see if this is really for you, because it's a different life. It's it, it it's in. Sometimes it's not exactly what you think it is. And boy, if you get bit, you, you, you'll never get the bug out of you. But just spend a little time doing a little research and, and, and don't work for somebody that's in a plus 30 D district or some heroic you know, struggle against a particularly odious Republican that you're not going to win. You know, pick a place that you can make a difference. Try to make a difference. And if you see you can make a difference, it, that will inspire you more than anything I can tell you.
0: Well, I will just say amen. Uh, you've heard it from the, the guru. You've heard it from the man who knows as much about American politics as anyone I know. Uh, and I hope you give it a try, Evan. Uh, and I hope it works out.
1: Uh, if you're a Democrat yeah, and, out and, there. yeah. And Evan. If it doesn't work out the first time, don't worry about it. If it doesn't work the second time, don't worry about it. Just keep getting up and pitching, man. That's all you can do. <laughs> How, many
0: you How many races did you lose? How oh, many races did you lose before you became God. James Carville?
1: I lost races after I was James Carville. <laughs> all right. There's no, there's no, there's no. You know, ask, ask you know, Jim Florio's second term. <laughs> all right, ask Fred Hoffman, and he's everybody loses races. Right for God's sakes, you know, you, you just. It's just what the the, the the nature of the beast is.
0: Well, but the point you know, I was making is it took you a while to become a winner, that, which, and then right. you really took but, you off.
1: Know, but, but the worst thing could have happened to me if I would have won the first race and I actually thought I'd do something. I actually learned more. I learned more losing in Texas in 1984. When, when I came to Austin in September of 1983, and I left in November of 1984, was the greatest period of growth I've ever had. And I just got the living shit beat out of me.
0: Okay, Evan, I want, you, I, I want you to tell us what you've done. Stay in touch with us uh, yeah. and let us know, and we'll keep this dialogue going. Okay, keep those Absolutely. cards and letters coming. Uh, those, I hate the fact we can't get to every one of them because they are so good. Uh, and I only have to tell Deborah that if she has another question, tell us where you're from. Okay, now for the Outrage of the Week. James, I'm going to let you this week go first because you've talked a lot about your outrage and we all are
1: waiting. One of the things that, that we've got gassed up in is that American exceptionalism, or, or, or we totally focused on ourselves. And it, I hate to say this because it's 20 year anniversary of, of 9-11. You know, I was in Washington. You were in Washington. My wife was working in the White House. Your, your wife was like covering day and night in the horror of it. You know, maybe the best general of World War II was General Zhukov. Not supposed to say that, but, you know, if I I said that, I don't think there's a military historian in the world that would say, well, James, you're full of shit. They might say, well, I'd like to Eisenhower better, or maybe Rumble was a better tactician, or he lost too many people. By far, the greatest general in the period between the end of World War II and 9-11 was General Giap in North Korea. You know, probably...
0: General,
1: North, uh, Vietnam. North, North Vietnam. No, I mean, North Vietnam, North Vietnam. General Gap in North Vietnam. I mean, I think General Ridgway is, could make a case that he's a strong number two. Let me tell you something. What Osama bin Laden did on 9-11 worked. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. When, when, when in, in 2000, in the year two, when the start of 2001, it was widely reported Believe and probably accurate that in, in, in January of 2001, the United States was the most dominant nation culturally, economically, and military vis-a-vis the rest of the world since ancient Rome. Uh, Charles Krauthheimer, Bill Crystal, George Will, you name it. The United States was on top of its game. And look at where we are now. What the fuck did we learn? And you're right. He, 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 it, it was, it, it, you know, the way that guy thought, I'm not, you know, I'm not in any way, shape, or form take away from the tragedy that people went through. But what he set out to do, you know, if, if Satan let someone in hell, you know, take a look at what happened. I, I, I got. You just gotta admit that. We walked right into it. I mean, we just led with our chin and kept leading with our chin. And and, and we did that after we saw what happened in Vietnam, and we kept doing it, and we're still doing it, bitching about. Well, you gotta admit the pullout was bad. And we just played right into their goddamn hands. And I don't, I, I I really don't know, we did all of this. It, it, I, don't, I have no idea what his grand strategy was, but what, 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 whatever, it, it, it worked beyond his wildest goddamn imagination. I can tell you that. I really okay. can.
0: Mine is, um, I think, actually a second cousin. In a way, uh, with all that's going on, James, with Afghanistan and all the questions of abortion and the legislative struggles that are coming up. Let's not lose sight of the January 6th mob attack on the Capitol uh, aimed at blocking the congressional certification of Joe Biden's clear victory. Simple question. Questions. Why are Kevin McCarthy and other Republicans desperately trying to to block the inquiry into the worst attack on the Capitol since the British burned it in 1814. McCarthy even threatened social media firms if they cooperate with the Thompson-Cheney investigation that he's going to come after them. McCarthy should be investigated for what he said. Why are they trying to protect Trump, who egged on the mob? Did any members of the House have any contact with the insurrectionists? Why is tough guy Jim Gordon, Jim Jordan rather equivocating on when he talked to Trump that day, what they said, Uh, and uh, how many times. I'll tell you why. At least you have to suspect they're trying to cover up some stuff. And that's why I think the Thompson-Cheney Commission, which is off, I think, from all accounts, they don't leak, they're off to a good start. It's imperative that they get the answers to these questions.
1: Mark Mower, a focus of this committee is going to be December 21st, 2020, in a White House meeting. The simple reason that Kevin McCarthy does what he is Okay, it's a fucking weather vane. Is that a significant part of his caucus is exposed and everyone knows it? And, and they are panicking. And I gotta I got tell you, I, Benny Thompson, and you, you know, I'm a big believer, you gotta give the guy in charge credit. And everybody says, well, you gotta have a good staff and Liz Cheney and what, whatever. You no, know, I, I don't know. But I gotta tell you, Benny is—he—he—he's the pope. He's the general. He's the admiral. He's the guy running this, and I think that so far, really good. So yeah, it far, has been—it really, really has good. been really good. And
0: what—what's incumbent, and I think Benny Thompson knows this. It has to be a unanimous report or recommendation, whatever it is, uh, and that's why I think Pelosi was so smart to put two Republicans on their list, Cheney and Adam Kinzinger, who I think really care about getting the truth. They are bona fide Republicans. And if there's a unanimous report and they find out stuff, uh, Kevin McCarthy uh, is going to be someone uh, who um, ought to be in this Again,
1: Pelosi was brilliant. There was a lot of background noise about Benny, all right? He has acquitted himself brilliantly. He has. You know, and, 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 and... you know, I, I think the staff is good. I, I think the two most important members of that committee by far are Jamie Raskin and Liz Cheney. And uh, from what I know about both of them, if, if I was Kevin McCarthy, I'd be shitting in my pants. Because well, neither one, either one of these are... They're not going to put... They're not put on the other hand people. And they're not, well, we should look at... You know, there was... You got to admit there was some culpability of this and that. The other thing is, read everything, and Bin Laden's strategy I talk about, without Bin Laden, there'd be no Trump.
0: Well, this is not, uh, it's not just Kevin McCarthy
1: who's got to be doing whatever uh, they do in their pants. But,
0: okay, we'll keep revisiting this. They're
1: shitting in their pants. Okay. That's what they're doing. Okay, never mind. I can say, your, your wife's on public television. You can't do it. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Hey, thanks for listening to Politics War Room with James Carville, and I'm Al Hunt. Don't forget to send your questions for us by email to politicswarroom at gmail.com or tweet them for next week's show at politicon. Following this episode, we'd really appreciate it if you'd check out the link to our sponsor, Magic Spoon. We deeply thank you for supporting them. When you do, it helps make this podcast happen. To keep up with us, subscribe to Politics War Room on Apple Podcasts. Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. Please rate the show with a five-star review. We'll be back next week with another program as we continue our War Room planning.